Hello, I'm Nicola Dean and this is Safeguarding Matters with the Ancraft Trust. Hello, my name is Cass Sykes and I work to support the sports and activity sector to develop good safeguarding adults practice. Today I'm joined by Dave Rose, who's the Deputy Chief Officer at the Football Supporters Association, who's kindly agreed to talk to us about the work of the FSA and how they are investing in developing policies and procedures to safeguard adults in their organisation. So Dave, can you tell me about your role and um, and also tell us what, what is the Football Supporters Association? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'll try to explain it as, uh, as, as as concisely as I can. So the Football Supporters Association um, is a democratically structured organisation. It's a national organisation that is there to represent football supporters at all levels of the game um, and throughout all of the leagues and throughout England and Wales. So we meet regularly with the FA, the Premier League and the AFL. Um, we meet with other stakeholders in the game, like the Sports Ground Safety Authority. Um, and we're there really to represent the views of supporters uh, to those organisations um, and about various different aspects that of, of the game, how it's governed, how it's run, what the match day experience is like. Um, and we make sure that the supporters' voice runs through all of that. Um, we are very much a bottom-up organisation, so we are made up of our members, which are individual football fans, uh, very importantly, supporter organisations from around the country as well. So at each club, there'll be at least one, quite often more than one, um, supporters group. They, that could take the form of like a trust, uh, um, a football supporters trust, or just a, a organisation of some description. So... We have hundreds of affiliate organisations from uh, of all of these groups and we have uh, associate members as well, which could be something like a fanzine or podcast who are, will be very vocal in their uh, local area as well. So basically covering every sort of bit of fan activism at each club around the country. And it is those supporter groups and those individual fans that dictate the FSA's policy around various matters, whether that be um, safe standing, ticket pricing, the governance of the game, all these sort of things, um, issues around diversity and being proactive in that area to make football as diverse and as welcoming as possible. Um, that's been a sort of key strand of our work for a good number of years now. So all these things is dictated by our membership. And then we have uh, myself and my lovely colleagues, uh, of which there are 16 in total, um, dotted around the country, helping to support all of that network. Gosh, you, you have a huge reach, don't you? Really getting right into every level of the, the football game um, and, and across such a wide demographic area as well. It's huge, it is, and it's a real challenge. Uh, but, we're, you know, we're, we're all football fans that, that work for the organisation. It's a dream job in many respects. Um, some people would say in my previous work in life that I talk football all day anyway. So, um, you know, it's, it's doing something that we love. And the volunteers that we work with are great as well. Um, so you have literally hundreds of volunteers, thousands of volunteers around the country who all form the part of these organisations. Um, and it's probably worth just touching on like what the bread and butter is of those organisations, why they exist. Because we're effectively the national version of every local supporters group. So... Um, you have a, a, say a supporters trust at any one given club and what they will do ideally is meet regularly with the owners or the decision makers running their football club 
Um, they will meet at least hopefully twice a year. And that's part of what we call structured dialogue. So the idea being that both sides are committed to a dialogue to talk about what issues fans want to bring to the table, what the club wants to bring to the table, the green agenda together, listening to each other. Um, because obviously owners of a support of a, of a club will come and go. Um, the, the, the fans are the one constant. Um, and whether they actually own a stake in the club or not, the club's really... It is. It is. The, it is for the fans. It's the hub of a community in most towns and cities. The football club is the real central point where more people will gather there than anywhere else, really. Um, so we're very, very passionate about that, and it's up to the fans to protect the history and the heritage of their club, um, and also to be proud of their club and know that the custodians of that club are treating it um, with respect in the way that they would want it to be treated. So that's that dialogue all, all works towards that. And then on a very day-to-day practical level, what it does is it's it's free marketing for the club when you think about it. It's uh, it's a focus group uh, at their beck and call. So they can um, tap into what fans are wanting, what it is they don't like about the match day experience. And they can actually turn that into revenue as well. So if fans don't like a particular catering offering or they have ideas about what they think would go down well or what what's in the club shop, um, or just what the experience is like going into the ground. So whether you're winning and losing or drawing, what is it like? Will it attract new people? So all of these things, it's a club would be crazy not to listen to that anyway. I mean, um, lots of lots of businesses spend a fortune on market research at a football club. Um, you've got people tripping over themselves to tell you mm. tell you how to do your job. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's really good. And, and actually, the, the listen is is one of the key elements that we're looking at when we talk about a safer culture, safer sport campaigns. We've got listen, learn and lead. And it sounds like um, you've got um, a good amount of um, dialogue happening and um, and people who are quite happy to, to voice their views. Um, so how, how do you um, engage? Do you use what, what methods do you do? Because obviously you've got such a wide reach, so many different clubs. How, how do you manage to listen to everybody? So we replicate what I um, sort of very briefly described there in terms of a local structured dialogue, and we replicate that with the Football League um, and with the Premier League, and we'll now be doing that with the FA as well. Um, and the idea is that we, so we have networks of each of those leagues. So we have all the supporter groups in the Premier League, in, the, in League One, League Two, in the Championship, and in the National Game. And in the women's game, and um, and we have a network of community-owned clubs as well. That's clubs owned by the supporters. So what we do is we draw from all of those networks, uh, and we get the opinions, and we get the subgroups, and we get um, surveys and discussions going on Google groups and that sort of thing. So it is very much about listening, and we pull all of that together. Um, and this is, by the way, is what a good local supporter group should do as well. They go out of the fan base using social media, uh, physical meetings, emails to the membership, newsletters, message boards, and you pull together what is the latest thinking, what are the new issues, what are the issues that have been ongoing that need development. All of these things we pull together and we present that and say, well, look, from this, these are the common themes, so this is roughly what the agenda should be like. And then the Premier League will agree that. They'll have a few things that they want to bring up. And then that dialogue ensues and that, that that's on a cycle a couple of times a year. And it's great because it means that 
both sides are committed to listening to each other. It means that fans who are putting a lot of time and effort and emotional energy in, in volunteering around this feel like they're getting their voice heard. Might not always like the answers that we get. Not every campaign is successful, but many are. But it feels like you're always at least being heard and listened to. That that sounds really good. And and I imagine it can be quite challenging at times um, to, to raise maybe some of the more sensitive issues as well, because we know that um, sometimes the minority can get their voices heard and, and not for particularly positive reasons when it comes to sort of football supporters. Um, so how do you have the, the how do you tackle those more difficult questions um, or those conversations when when you are dealing with particularly sensitive topics? It's, it's football's a passionate game and therefore football supporters tend to be very passionate and very emotive it's very emotive and very emotional about the issues that we sometimes have to to bring up. And you never want to take that away. Um, what we try to do is is take all of that energy, work out what the asks are, what it is that we what 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 is the actual issue here, uh, what is the problem that we're wanting to resolve, what what does the solutions look like? Is there more than one way? Um, and we try to sort of break it down really and and work out what it is and is it even achievable? Because sometimes there can be things that occur in difficult circumstances that are just very very difficult to to be able to overcome but quite often though there is there's a way forward so things that crop up regularly um um around things like the fixtures being moved at late notice for tv broadcasting that that will get a an immediate reaction and we're constantly banging that drum but it's very very difficult to get changed because of course um the, the deal is done the the broadcasters put in lots of money so that's a real challenging issue but then there's other issues around things like ticket pricing for instance and we ran a campaign a few years ago called 20s plenty which was to cap away ticket prices at 20 pound in the premier league um because they had risen to i think the the highest that we were aware of i think it was like something like 67 pound for one ticket um that man city fans paid away to arsenal and that was the catalyst for a huge campaign. Again, bottom up, the energy was there coming from the fans. We harnessed that. We um, we had lots of different ways of um, different campaigning tools from emailing chief executives of football clubs in the thousands um, to um, promotional material, flags, banners, um, social media tiles, all this sort of thing. Um, protests in the ground and, mm. and, it, and it, over a sustained period over a couple of years or so it worked and they, they capped not at £20 but at a reasonable £30 and that still to this day exists saving fans millions of pounds over the last few years so when you say things like that um, that came from an angry place mm. we found common ground with the Premier League because it's in their interest to have a vibrant away support. The away fan really is the distilled essence of the football fan. It's the one will, the fan who will travel those extra miles, put the extra money into it, put the extra time and make the most noise. They're the catalyst for the atmosphere in the ground. If you don't have any away fans in the ground, it's flat. So it's important that they were looked after. And the Premier League recognised that because they're about their product on the TV. And we all saw during COVID how rubbish football can be in an empty stadium, it's just not the same. You mm. haven't got that backdrop, that lifeblood. Haven't got the atmosphere, have you? Yeah. So the and and so you, we found from a place where fans were angry with the authorities and with the clubs, 
who set the prices. Um, we found common ground there, which is obviously always a smart thing to do when you're trying to get a positive outcome. And, mm-hmm. and we got there in the end. So it's a great example of people listening to each other, but also coming from an emotional place, but galvanising that and focusing it under, under a positive outcome. So that's a great example, isn't it, of building up that trust so that they've come to you with an issue, you have worked with them, it hasn't been easy, it hasn't been quick, but actually once you're in that conversation and having that dialogue, then you can find a way forward. Um, and I suppose really the, the next, the reason why the Ancraft Trust is working with yourselves at the moment is um, trying to embed um, sort of safeguarding adults as well. And and I guess we've been working with you probably for, for just under a year now um, as part of your Safer Culture campaign and all the, the work you're doing to um, create that, that safe place so your uh, football fans can enjoy the game and without uh, fear of um, any abuse um, and, and any issues that might come forward. So what made you um, sort of begin this journey of um, embedding safeguarding adults? Yeah, so we we are the FSA is a result of two organisations merging a couple of years back, um, which was the FSF and Supporters Direct, and um, so we've been sort of reviewing where we're at as an organisation anywhere and looking at you know where where are the gaps. We're a bigger organisation now that we've merged and our standing in the game as a stakeholder has has risen massively over the last few years. It's a real important part of that structure now and um, a serious stakeholder. And when you're looking at all of that and you're seeing how we're developing and you see how many the numbers I was talking about in terms of what we are responsible for in terms of supporting and working alongside um, at a local level as well, it's we realise that it's, it's very, very important to equip ourselves to to know when um, to, to know what signs to look out for when we think people might be in a little bit of trouble, and we're dealing with primarily adults or um, day in day out who, by putting their head above the parapet to run a supporters organisation, um, it's a goldfish bowl at, at many clubs when you do that, and it doesn't matter if you make every step the right one in terms of how you what you do, how you represent the fan base, how you structure yourself, how you communicate. It doesn't matter whether you do it perfectly, you will always get some criticism because you're just talking a numbers game with football on you. That's it's huge and everyone's eyes are on it. And so therefore you do get um, problems occur around that. And it's a hard, hard thing to do, um, especially with social media, because it never goes away. It's 24-7. So I guess that was one of the catalysts for us to, to sort of think more seriously and then more structurally around safeguarding which we, was why we enlisted you guys have been extremely helpful and we've all of our all of our staff have been on a training two training sessions um we are about to get policy signed off by our board on that which is something you guys and and a few other people have helped us out with which is great um and that's you know that's just the start i think what we would like to do is consider how we can roll some of this out to the supporter groups so that they can be aware themselves of what to look out for um, and be aware of, of what they can do to help others. And they're, they're, all these organisations have their boards and committees and they have their membership. So they're interacting all the time um, in various different environments. And I th- so I think it's, it's it will be crazy not to try to ingrain some of that thing in, in our practices. Mm, I, th- I think it's really important, especially at club level, is 
like you say, it's recognising the signs and symptoms. It's having that culture where if somebody is worried or troubled, they know where to go to, um, raise their concerns and actually that they will be listened. But it's, it's equipping the people at the club so they know where to go to for support. So they don't have to take it all on themselves, but actually they know how to escalate it or where to go or where to signpost um, people on, really. Yeah, so I think you need, you need to make people feel very comfortable about it and make the process as easy as possible because and we touched on this in, in the training sessions as well with you guys and it was it's it can be easy to ignore or just to file away or feel like you're being nosy or whatever that, that initial reaction might be easy to put off um so you've got to make it even easier to for them to be supported and to for them to be able to report whatever whatever the, the case might be and i think that's something that we want to just give people that confidence and not not worry or be frightened around it it's um, I mean a lot of it's human instinct it's about caring for each other really and, and looking out for those signs so so yeah I mean that's uh, like I said we've got a myriad of different organizations out there who um, even at the best of times it can it can be stressful so um, so yeah it's, it's it's massively important for us no, that that that's brilliant, and and as you say, you're 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 sort of beginning the journey, but um, you're putting the right steps in place. So the policy development, the training your staff, because I guess at the end of the day, they're the ones who pick up the phone. Um, so when your clubs do have an issue, they'll be the people that they contact. So it's important that um, your staff are equipped and and know how to manage that as well. That's right, and we have network managers who who look after the different. Um, networks that we have at the different levels of the game that, I, that I've mentioned before. And they're in constant dialogue, they're, there's, there's, whether it's through the Google group emails or whether it's uh, whether it's on social media or WhatsApp groups um, or the message boards. So there's this constant, um, there's this constant dialogue, constant information, constant views being put forward. And so it, with that amount of interaction, um, there's obviously issues do arise so it's just yeah making everyone feel as comfortable as possible to be able to share information to be able to um, talk to each other but also be able to come out of those social groups um, and have some one-to-one -one discussions sometimes as well um, and we always make sure that we can we can uh, achieve that and that um, the volunteers and staff feel comfortable doing that. Brilliant now that sounds really good so I guess then um, there's still quite a lot of work to do. So um, it's developing the, the next um, wave of uh, resources to, to get the information out down to clubs um, and to the members so they sort of know where to go to access um, the right support and advice that they need. Um, I guess then if you were to offer one piece of advice or um, something that you've learned that you would um, like to share with others, in terms of you know because it can be quite daunting when you, you start a new project whether it is developing a new policy and having those conversations what top tips could you offer um to somebody who's who's starting out on the journey because it isn't easy we know that yeah i think the main thing is not not to fear it uh, because once you, if you're worried and you're not confident about something it it's, tends to be human nature to put it off a bit and i think um it, it's it's not as daunting as it might seem. And I think with the expertise that you guys have had in this sort of very plain way that you've been able to explain it to us, I would say just get in touch with you guys straight away. Don't hesitate. Because once you start, you'll realise that it's actually not too bad. It's not too complex. A lot of it is common sense. Um, but you can feel a lot more comfortable knowing that you've got that expert advice. You've got the policy filed away there for everyone to reference. Um, so in terms of peace of mind, I think, 
it's uh, really important. So I think just don't hesitate, don't worry about it is what I would say. Because um, we did a little bit of that um, and actually it's been really, really helpful and really good. And it can spark other things, it can spark other ideas as well in your, in your everyday work. Mm, that's brilliant because I've seen on your website you've also got the Terrace Talk as well um, right. which is all about mental health and, and working with um, mind as well and, and that's a brilliant initiative and, and that works really closely as well with all about um, sort of you know adult safeguarding and well-being so so they, they do all interlink. They, they, they do and um, to, to add to that we also partner with Gamble Aware as well um, so we're constantly putting out a sort of safer gambling message as well um, to make sure people are aware of the harms of gambling and how how to spot the signs um, for problematic behaviours um, and we've done a lot of work with them over the last few years um, so yeah all these things tend to tend to link together. Brilliant well thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon I think that's been really um, insightful and hopefully um, our listeners will be able to take uh, quite a lot away from that so thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about our work, check out our website, ancrafttrust.org, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at Ancraft Trust.